episode 5 of the Busted Lines Podcast. I'm your host, Paresh Maharaj, and this episode marks the first in our series where we re-watch and rank the MCU movies. I'm going to keep this intro a little short since we'll explain our criteria and ranking system at the beginning of this episode. I do want to say that although we will not be going out of our way to spoil these movies, we will be dropping spoilers should they become necessary. And that's really all I have to say other than suit up and get ready because we're bringing the party to you. Well, this is exciting. We're finally going to give our opinions on the MCU. We're the first people on the internet to have opinions about the Marvel movies. This is exciting. I know, right? Break a new territory here. Yeah, really blazing a trail here for... I can't continue saying this with a straight face. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) God, Uh, Selling out is fun and good for you. Uh, I wish we were selling out. We're not getting paid for this. We're losing money. (laughs) Uh, Try not to think about it. Anyway, so... The MCU, if you've been living under a rock for the last 10 years, then you may not be aware that for the last 10 years, Marvel Studios has been putting out a stream of Marvel superhero movies in a shared universe. And for better and for worse, they have been astronomically successful and popular. So we decided to take it upon ourselves to just go back through the series of movies and just basically rank them. But we're going to put a little twist on the ranking system. Yeah, so instead of going for a numerical ranking system, we're going to do platinum, gold, silver, and bronze tiers. Because I feel like it's just there's so many Marvel movies that I feel like are as good or only marginally better than each other. I wouldn't feel comfortable definitively ranking one above the other. So these slightly broader categories, I think it gives us more wiggle room to discuss more in depth why we like or dislike each movie and categorize them rather than just outright ranking them it's tiers not just a rank and i feel like this will help us avoid you know feeling bad about ranking one movie above the other or below the other so for this episode we're just going to be focusing on phase one which for those who forgot it goes from iron man one to the first avengers We can probably go ahead and get this out of the way right now before we get too into the discussion. We will not be reviewing The Incredible Hulk because as part of tiering these movies, um, and as uh, Paresh said, we are starting with phase one, we felt that it was necessary to rewatch each movie before reviewing it because some of these movies I never rewatched and some of them it's been a while since I rewatched. And I just wanted to make sure that, you know, I felt like the opinions may not necessarily be as valid or informed if i hadn't seen the movie in literal years unfortunately that meant that because disney plus doesn't have the incredible hulk due to licensing and distribution issues neither of us were able to watch and form an opinion on it really. but so just to give a just to give a quick thoughts on it um, it's good according to my memories yeah i mean i had it on dvd at one point and it was one of those movies when i was like in elementary school that i rewatched over and over and over again I remember liking a lot of it. I remember the action scenes being great and Edward Norton being a good Bruce Banner. I remember a lot of it just being really weird. Like one scene that just sticks out to me is there's literally a scene where like it's almost a sex scene, but then Banner pulls back at the last minute because it's a canon fact in the MCU that he cannot have sex. Otherwise, he'll get too excited and Hulk out. Mm hmm. That was a thing. Yeah, one thing I will say is that if either if between Iron Man and the Hulk, the more popular one was going to set the tone for the rest of the MCU going forward, I'm glad it was Iron Man. 
like no hate towards the incredible hulk but i mean that was the direction they i'm glad that they went all right so with that out of the way let's say we go do you said you actually wrote up some criteria before we started our rewatch so yeah because since because I said so isn't apparently a good enough reason for ranking any of these movies, I just put together some baseline um, criteria we would use for ranking the movie's quality. And of course, judging the quality of any movie is generally going to be pretty sub- pretty subjective. So again, these are just ways to compartmentalize our opinions. The first um, thing, obviously, is the plot, which is pretty straightforward, is do the events of the movie form an enjoyable and coherent plot line. Like, I don't think I need to explain that anymore. That's pretty broad. Next up is the action. You know, are the fight and scenes and action set pieces fun, innovative, memorable, that kind of thing. I mean, it's superhero movies. At the end of the day, that's what you're buying a ticket for. The dialogue and character interaction is the next category, which is, you know, just the quality of writing, the quantity versus quality of jokes, because, hey, it's the MCU. You know, just judging the character arcs and characterization, things like that. These next two criteria, we actually discuss this a lot, is um, the first one is, does the movie work as a standalone film? And the second one is, does the movie further the overarching MCU plot? We debated back and forth for a while if this was going to be criteria. And what do we end up deciding? Uh, We decided that we're going to rank both of them because those aren't necessarily mutually exclusive, but an MCU movie should be able to do at least one of those well. And obviously it's a bonus if it does both. But I mean, there are some movies in the MCU that are meant to function more as standalones, and there are some that are meant to be big crossovers or just otherwise further along the overarching plot, and that's okay. And also, just a disclaimer, because this always comes up in uh, comic discussions, um, we're not judging the movies based off of their faithfulness to the comics, because neither of us are overly familiar with the comics, And it's just, that's not something that we naturally draw comparisons to while watching the movies in the first place. Right. And uh, yeah, I think that covers the big things. All right. So let's just, uh, let's not dilly-dally anymore. Let's get started with, uh, let's start up with 2008's Iron Man. Yeah. First of all, Jesus fucking Christ, this movie came out in 2008. It's been a while. That's 12 years. 12 years ago. And 12 years ago, I feel like it still holds up really well. Yes, agreed. I very much agree. It's so weird uh, looking at back at this movie because when when this movie first came out, um, well, personally speaking, I didn't know anything about really Robert Downey Jr.'s past or anything, but apparently he was a controversial casting decision at the time. I mean, he was starting to make kind of a comeback. Like he had, I think it was Kiss Kiss Bang Bang came out the previous year, but this was still only like his second or third major role like post rehab and comeback. But I mean, this was still like, like, remember, Tropic Thunder came out really soon after this, so this was just part of RDJ's big comeback. Right, right, right. It's interesting as well, because this movie came out the same year as The Dark Knight, so it's not like superhero movies weren't popular. And it was far from the most popular superhero movie at the time. But I mean, it's just... It's strange, because people talk about Iron Man as the beginning of the MCU and how influential that is, but I mean, I, I, I feel like... It does, and we'll discuss this more in depth later as we go through the criteria, but I feel like it does more just as a standalone movie, like just to show that, hey, Marvel can make a good movie about a superhero that isn't that popular and, you know, draw in a decent box office and have it be popular. Like that was something that Marvel needed to prove because, I mean, up until this point, the only really successful Marvel movies were, I think, X-Men and Blade. 
and the I think the Spider-Man movies too. Oh yeah, well I mean the Raimi Spider-Man movies, but I mean at this point those were like honestly just in their own category of and plus like this was coming right off of I think hadn't Spider-Man 3 come out by then? I think it did, yeah. Yeah, so I mean there was that question of, you know, consistency. Talking about the plot, like I said, I think it still holds up 12 years later. I mean, I think the good thing it does with Tony's character is because fundamentally Tony Stark is not a likable person and that's on purpose. But it does a good job of like, and but the thing is Iron Man is this whole character is a, you know, it's about him becoming a, trying to be a better person. So I think the movie does a good job of establishing early on who Tony Stark is so that it can move right into the trauma and character development. It doesn't waste too much time showing what he's like pre-iron man suits yeah exactly especially that tiny scene in the in the humvee before he they oh yeah before they get ambushed like all those tiny interactions that he has with the with the troops he's a charismatic asshole exactly precisely yeah and even after when we even after the ambush and we flash back to crap what was the first scene it flashes back to like the award ceremony and then him doing the weapons demonstration. Right, right, right. Yeah. So in the span of I think it's like ten minutes, he's he ditches his uh award ceremony just to play craps and then sleeps with a reporter. Yeah. And then is three hours late for his own private jet flight because he can do that. And then we then we and then after that it's the ambush and then the I think this movie really peaks in the second act where it's just him in the cave trying to build the suit and escape. Oh, yeah. The whole building the suit with Yinsen, like that's just peak character writing because you just see so much about him as a person, like change and become solidified without him saying anything. Right. And then and then the fall fo- and then the follow up it, uh, is strong, too, because he what was his partner's name or the villain's name again? Uh, Obadiah Sane. Obadiah, yeah, Obadiah, yeah. I just, what, I just call him Jeff Bridges most of the time, honestly. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, because that's really what a lot of the A-list celebrities are in the in these movies. They're just themselves. Like, I'll get into this more when we talk about Thor. Speaking of Obadiah Stane, and like, we'll get to this later as I talk about the characterization. But like, most of this movie holds, I feel like, holds up as well as like any recent Marvel movie. But like, the one thing for me is like in the whole third act. Like, where Stain just flips a switch and goes from, like, underhanded, like, immoral businessman who's trying to undercut Tony to just mustache-twirling death machine villain as soon as he puts the Ironmonger suit on. That just feel Like, the last 30 minutes or so feels like a completely different movie because the villain's personality totally just becomes super campy and just doesn't really fit with what's happened before. <laughs> right, we see the... It just becomes a full flanderization, like, at, at the last minute. And of course, there's so many like behind the scenes script writing, editing reasons for that. But like, I don't take that into account when I'm judging a movie because I'm not sitting next to Jeff Bridges and having him explain to me how the character process for him went. I'm just watching the movie and the final product and making that judgment. And but yeah, the I think the line that really sealed it for me, the how good the character development in this movie was, uh, was Joe Badia accuses Tony of being naive because of what his weapons were used for, and. Tony actually agrees with him that, uh, yes, I was naive, but it was only to, to the point that I thought my company was go- was doing something good. Yes. Yeah, so I think that just moving on, just, you know, if we're going to talk about Tony and the scene in the cave, we have to follow up. We'll talk about what follows up immediately afterwards, which is what, what is still one of the best action scenes in MCU to this date. The whole Mark one fight scene, like 
I think the thing that makes it work so well is it's like a horror scene for the henchmen. The best action scenes are always the ones that have some kind of elements of horror to them. Because if you look at Terminator. Oh yeah, he just goes full Terminator on them and it's great. Because I mean, the suit isn't perfect either, but like it gets the job done. And then of course, if we're talking about action scenes in Iron Man, you have to talk about the Gulmira fight scene where he finally puts on the full like Mark III suit for the first time and just wrecks everybody's shit. I'm a sucker for when moments that were in the trailer are just as good as they are in context of the actual movie. Yeah. And that scene where he scene the fucking tank. blows up that tank and walks away from the explosion is just one is one of those. I don't think it's a stretch to say that that's one of the most iconic moments in the MCU, even 12 years later. Oh, man. And uh, let's, let's let's take a moment to talk about the other characters, because this is what this is our first time also meeting Pepper. Yeah, if we're talking about characterization, I think one of the big things here is just the way that First of all, Pepper just stands great as a character on her own. Like, she just has a great entrance with basically kicking that reporter out of Tony's house. Like, she it has just as many quips and sarcastic moments as Tony does. And I think that's the one thing that really makes them work. Like, just their dynamic, not just as a couple, but as, you know, foils to each other. Is that she doesn't take any shit from Tony, even though he's technically the authority figure in this situation. Like, when it comes to, like, quips or, like, even just, you know, being serious, she gives as good as she gets. Well, I have this in my notes here. As, um, this is back where this is since this was the first movie. This is back before Disney Marvel knew that people would lap up whatever they put out. But at the end of the day, you have to earn that trust somehow. Yeah. And, that, and I think this movie really did that. Yeah, I think talking about the um, characterization and the humor, I think especially in contrast to what comes after, like the humor feels relatively grounded, but like it's not afraid to be campy at times. Like, oh, yeah, definitely. They, they never try to justify the arc reactor or the fact that Tony's first plan for getting out is building a fucking suit of armor. They just roll with it, which I think is part of what makes the MCU work. So they don't waste time with like shitty, like realistic explanations for what happens. Like, the, I remember one way someone I was saw put it really well is like they don't waste time with like having Tony, you know, talking about suits of armor earlier in the movie like making fun of it or whatever like they just decided yeah no this is iron man origin story and he's going to be iron man and that's just how it is there you go yep yeah and also another thing that i want to touch on is um we've that we all agree that this we both agree that this stands up as a standalone movie because let's face it it had to it's the first installment you know i'm saying and it it kind of had to be standalone because there was no guarantee that they were going to get as many sequels as they ended up getting like it's really only the after credit scene that turns it into like the beginning of the mcu well even before that we do get a couple of moments with colson introducing himself as the guy from shield yeah the only things yeah this movie does for for a movie that people laud as the beginning of the mcu it does surprisingly little to set up any following movies the only sequel hooks are the War Machine teases and Shield and Coulson being around, and then the after credit scene. Aside from that, this movie is completely self-contained. There, I, I'm rewatching this in a post-Endgame world. Um, we're already seeing elements of Katoni's character for Civil War, where he talks about the first thing he says at the press conference is he realized that he became part, part of a of system, system with, with no zero accountability. accountability. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, and like you said, I think it holds up just as well as any superhero movie from the last five years. That that being said, it does have its flaws, which I, you know, I think we need to discuss. So like the one I mentioned earlier, Stain is turning into a super campy villain in the third act. Like that highway scene gets real Man of Steel real quickly. Like he goes from like, you know, trying to like 
indirectly get Tony killed, like through Hitman instead of doing it to himself, just straight up like putting on the Iron Man Ironmonger suit and trying to kill Pepper and like picking up bystanders' cars and throwing them at Tony. Like that's just such a huge jump in character logic that I it, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Oh yeah, yeah. The the yeah. what are the what are the things that we noticed about Phase One Marvel movies that a lot of their final boss battles, so to speak, don't really stick the landing, but. Yeah. The, the, it's really the follow, but they more than make up for it with the follow-up scenes after the yeah. lackluster boss battles. Because, and my God, does Iron Man of all movies really dem- is really oh, a strong yeah. example of that? Yeah, and like this is, <sighs> these are more minor, but I've always, ju- but like the whole like U.S. military product placement, because that's basically what it is. That's present in so much of the first two Iron Man movies. Like my yep, problem with yep, it that's here, in my notes like, too. Only, I'm only going to talk about my problems with it in the context of the movie because I could talk for hours about my actual problems with it. But, like, within the context of the movie, and for context, I think it's worth pointing out for anybody who doesn't know that the U.S. military did have a promotion deal with Marvel Studios where they basically just had to be shown in a very positive light in the first two Iron Man movies. And it fell apart for hilarious reasons when they got to Avengers, which we'll talk about when we get to talking about the Avengers. But... The problem in this movie is that, you know, them being there in a positive light is completely at odds with Tony's entire character arc. The movie kind of comes across as a little hypocritical when you have Tony talking about wanting to be part of a system with accountability and, you know, not wanting to be a part of the arms deals anymore, but then also somehow still wanting to have the military be the good guys. Yeah, and then you just have a lot of weird continuity issues with S.H.I.E.L.D. where it's, like, acting like they've only just now come up with the acronym, but, like... It's just known, like, kind of acted like that's always been their name in future appearances, including other prequels. But, like, I'm willing to kind of throw that away as early installment weirdness when they still weren't super sure what they were doing. Right, exactly. Yeah, but then one thing for me, and, like, this is an issue that, for, that like, critics were, like, calling the MCU for a while, is that the movie has a fantastic score. The Iron Man theme is great, and then they never use it again. Like, one of the biggest <laughs> yeah. things they call out, the MCU's been called out for up through Phase 3 is that they don't have a consistent score for any of these movies. Like, so if you think about Lord of the Rings or other movies like that, where they just have an iconic overture that goes through all the movies, the MCU doesn't have that. Like, you have the Avengers theme, but, like, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but the Avengers theme is in the first Avengers, and it doesn't show up again until Infinity War. Like, and... Yeah. It's it's hard to put into words how much a movie suffers if it doesn't have something as simple as a recognizable theme song throughout all of its installments. And they really dropped the ball with that early on. But I mean, of course, a movie like this, it has so many of what are still the best and most iconic moments, like what we've talked about already. But I mean, anything that like needs to have any lasting pop culture value has to have at least one memeable line. And we can't talk about Iron Man without talking about how Tony Stark built this in a cave! With a box of scraps! Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, I remember that. I don't know if that's the best line or the worst line in MCU history, but it's probably the most memorable, so a little bit of both, I guess. It's a good line, it's but not the best delivered line. I don't know. I feel like if it wasn't delivered that over the top, it wouldn't have had the same effect. Like, otherwise, it just sounds like kind of a shitty explanation, especially when the guy immediately afterwards is like, well, I'm not Tony Stark. All right. So, so, just to sum... Sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, no. We were about to say the same thing. 
Okay, so yeah. Oh, so just to sum up my feelings on this is that I think at the end of the day, what really makes this movie work is that it really illustrates the difference between passion and profit. Because Tony is uh, yeah. is his journey begins with his heart, much like Captain America. Now that I think about it, and uh-huh. of course, Obadiah is of course driven by profit. But again, this is this is a show not really told by the ice problem, right? Tony was able to solve the ice problem by running rigorous tests out that were bred from passion. Obadiah completely ignored it because he was driven by profit. Yeah, and I think that uh, sequence by itself just is basically the movie in a nutshell and why I enjoy it so much. Yeah, and like I said, it holds up as well or even better than any superhero movie from the last five years through its characterization, just the way the plot, you know, still takes Tony on this character arc that is still held in such high regard. And I mean, yeah, it's Iron Man. We fucking love it. And I mean, if this movie hadn't done so well, I don't think Iron Man would be as beloved a character as he is now. So want to go ahead and give it a rating? Yep, let's go ahead. I put it in the gold tier. Yep, same. Gold tier. The flawed third act, I think, is what really holds it back from being absolute top tier, plus some of those other gripes I mentioned earlier. But I mean... Overall, like, it's a great movie, and I don't think there's any way around saying that. Yep. Yep. Yep, exactly. But unfortunately, if we're going to talk about Iron Man, we have to talk about Iron Man 2. Can we just talk about Captain America first? No? Okay. No, we're we're going in release order. Sorry. That's the order I have him in my notes, so that's the order we're talking about him. (laughs) Yeah, let's go ahead. So, Iron Man 2. This movie is still not my favorite I, it's a pan it's a cobbled together mess that uh, that was the result of disney not knowing how much of a success iron man one was going to be yeah part of the thing is here's the thing this is one of those cases where i dislike it now for completely different reasons than i remembered disliking it after same same <laughs> here's the thing i always remembered it as suffering from spending too much time on establishing shield and setting up stuff for avengers but that's actually less than an hour of the runtime the real problem with this movie is it's running three different pro- plot lines that are all trying to accomplish and failing at accomplishing the same thing and i actually just wrote down quick summaries of each of them to emphasize how shitty a job this movie did at ex- executing its goal so the first off you've got tony's palladium poisoning which It is a shitty half-ass adaptation of the demon in a bottle story. And it's really this whole thing with Tony like being killed by the arc reactor really only seems to exist to be creating friction between Tony and the rest of the supporting cast because he's dying and acting out because of it. And also they needed to have Tony invent a new element for some reason. And then this whole thing dominates the majority of the runtime, but nothing happens to move it along until the last 40 minutes or so when Nick Fury shows up. And the issue with that is that what part of what made the first Iron Man movie so good was, like you said, was Tony's passion and his innovation and constantly iterating on the Iron Man suit. In this movie, he spends a whole movie angsting about how he hasn't been able to find a suitable substitute for Palladium, but he doesn't actually do anything until Nick Fury shows up and tells him that he gave up too soon, which is absurd and then next up you have you have ivan vonko slash whiplash's revenge where it's like whiplash actually seems like a promising villain at first with you know legitimately having a a legitimate grudge against the starks and seeming kind of like this really sinister mirror of tony stark yeah but then he gets dropped like halfway through in order in service for sam rockwell to be to be the new villain 
Right. And then he literally just all of his real development and characterization gets cut. He has that great scene talking with Tony after the racetrack fight. But then he just gets reduced to a Russian man who wants his bird. And then, of course, you have the shield and Avengers recruiting angle, which really only isn't emphasized in the second half of the movie. But that's just there to introduce Black Widow and tease Thor and the eventual Avengers movie showing up. And all these plots are supposed to be about Tony being shown as reckless and irresponsible so that he loses and then has to regain the trust of all the people around him. But instead of all of it, like, you know, compounding together and working, it all just kind of cancels each other out and there's no balance between them. And it just feels like nothing is happening for two hours. That's exactly like the literally my second note is I'm asking the question, what even happens in this? Yeah, what happens in this movie? What of consequence happens in this movie? Uh, Black, well, this is just like you said, uh, Black Widow shows up. So up, Rhodey gets the suit in a T-store, and that's about oh, it. Oh, cool. That's, so, so, that's three. What, what is that? Like three things in the span of this two hour movie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so I mean, well, uh, I think the plot discussion is um, suitably short for this one. Yes. So, yes. talking about action, Whiplash is just so boring to watch in fight scenes. Like in the racetrack scene, he just looks super fucking goofy with his big whips. <laughs> and then, yeah. He's, the way he skips forward during the racetrack oh scenes yes. while he's he like, where he's like crisscrossing he, the whips as he's approaching Tony. It just look, I can't take it seriously. I've never been able to take it seriously. Yeah. <laughs> and that was in the trailer too. Oh yeah. The, my problem with the final fight scene is that it's just a complete rehash of the end of Iron Man 1. It's a villain who's stolen and reusing Tony's technology and Tony just fighting a bunch of evil Iron Men. And it's just Yeah. Even even now superheroes fighting an evil version of themselves in the final battle is an overused and still constantly used trope, but I mean, it's not any less horrible in this. I will say the Iron Man versus War Machine fight was really good as a good character moment because, by God, the only thing that kept me going through this movie is the humor and, like, the supporting cast. Like, Precisely. there are several scenes that are only not completely unwatchable because of the quips and jokes in them. But, I mean, honestly, Don Cheadle is a saving grace in this movie. Like, I I don't know if it's a script thing or an acting thing, but the dynamic between Tony, Tony and Rhodey in this movie is so much better than it was in the last one. Oh yeah, Rhodey was barely a presence in Iron Man 1, if we're being honest. Yeah, Tony, yeah, Rhodey was only there in the first one to be like, hey guys, the military's cool. In this one, he's actually Tony's friend, and he actually plays straight man to Tony's chaoticness. And like he and seeing him and Pepper and Happy, who by the way, Happy was barely a presence in the first one as well. Seeing all of them just kind of have to deal with their fucking trash child of a superhero best friend is really the only compelling part of this movie. And honestly, Sam Rockwell has this weird gift where he can make anything he does enjoyable. But the problem is that, like, instead of him being a focus, he's just another part of the hodgepodge of nonsense in this movie. So, like, if this movie had just chosen either him or Vanko to be the main villain, I think it would have worked out better. True. I agree. Yeah. But hey, uh, the one other we forgot the other highlight of the movie, ScarJo's red curls. Oh, Yeah. I mean, I refer to this movie when we were talking about this initially as Iron Man 2, starring Scarlett Johansson's curly red hair with RDJ in a supporting role. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Black Widow, you know, they do a good enough job of, uh, you know, they establish her as a capable spy and a fighter. But I feel like my one gripe with her in this movie is I wish they had given her more screen time as herself rather than her cover identity. Because you leave this movie knowing more about her skills and her role in S.H.I.E.L.D. than you do about, like, what her actual personality is. 
Although, given the kind of character Black Widow is, I literally have written in my notes after saying that, intentional, question mark? <laughs> hmm. But I don't know, maybe that's giving this movie too much credit. Yeah, I agree. Uh, what do you say, you want to just skip to the rating now? Um, I just want to talk really quickly about the um, whether it's standalone and overall impact. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, there are just a couple more points I want to cover before we get to the ranking, but I think we know what the ranking is. Yeah, so I think it actually works okay as a standalone film. Like, the opening scenes tell you everything you need to know about Tony, even if you haven't seen Iron Man 1. The only thing that I think really prevents us from being a total standalone film is the end is just a bunch of Avengers sequel hooks. And its overall impact, again, is just, yeah, it does a lot of world building for elaborating a bit on what S.H.I.E.L.D. is actually like, talks a lot about Howard Stark, and actually discusses the avengers initiative but i mean mm-hmm. it's, again tony's inventing a new element literally never comes up again never yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the the army wank like that's what i'm calling it now that brand of product placement the army wank in this is less bad it's still there and it's still annoying but i feel like it's less bad since they are like more openly an obstacle and a hindrance rather than helping save the day in this yeah this i thought, the, I thought actually, the, like i thought that was the entire point of the movie yeah i feel like the kind of yeah, it's a two and a half hour, it's a two hour long movie. It's just like the military industrial complex is bad, and so is the rest of this movie. So just don't watch it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's bronze. It's fucking bronze. Bronze. It's fucking yeah, no, bronze. It's a huge fucking Lord. step down from Iron Man. And I mean, honestly, I'm going to go ahead and say this because nine year old Black Belt has had this opinion, and 21 year old Black Belt has this opinion. The scene where Tony gets wasted in the Iron Man suit at his birthday party is and has always been my least favorite scene in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm not saying that I took this entire movie down a tier because of that entire scene, but I'm not saying I didn't do that either. I hate that scene with every fiber of my being. Is it, is it because of the that cringe-inducing remix of Another One Bites the Dust, or is that just me? Oh, I mean, that's a part of it. I'm more talking about the part where Tony he's in the suit as a joke and uses the fucking unibeam to smash a watermelon want to talk about thor uh yeah yeah let's talk about thor yeah (laughs) Yeah, so i'll go on record and say that i've always liked the first thor movie i know it's not the most popular and i know it has issues we'll talk about those issues but i like this movie and i also think this is going to be a tough one to review because we're going to have to review without just comparing it to ragnarok the whole damn time that's going to be the hardest part honestly so just getting that out (laughs) of the way talking about the plot The plot is relatively simple and unambitious, and I think that works in his favor, because this is a very very character-driven movie. The focus is on Thor's growth as a person and the relationships between him, Loki, and Odin. That's what this movie is about. Not much happens in this movie. It happens over the course of only a couple days, but, like, this movie is about Thor becoming worthy and becoming a good person and Loki being driven to villainy. It's not about saving the day. Yeah. I actually think this is the shortest uh, phase one MCU movie I think as far is. as yeah, runtime goes. Yeah, that's yeah. about right. Yeah, and it's, only, it's almost exactly two hours long. Right. I think I did enjoy... It's When you mentioned um, not really enjoying the movie, the, well, people not really liking the movie when it first came out, I was actually one of those people. But I find that it actually holds up really well on a rewatch. Especially when you don't watch it in rapid succession with the other learn to be a hero movies that made up the ma- the majority of the first phase of the MCU. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I will get this out of the way right now. Like I this is like I have quite a few like um issues with this movie that I want to discuss, but I wanna 
get them out of the way quickly so that I can get into talking about why I like this movie. Because I feel like most people who want to listen to a review of um, Thor um, expect me to criticize it a lot. But I mean, and I am kind of approaching this as like, this is a very flawed movie, but I enjoy it. So I'm kind of killing my darling here. So the fight scenes suffer a lot because they're mostly just against really mediocre CGI monsters. Yeah, like that first scene with the ice giants. Thor himself is always fun to watch when he's swinging the hammer around, but like also that choreo- the choreography of his depowered fight scene, like with the shield agents, just feels really off. Plus the absurdity of them just not shooting him instead of like all just running and dogpiling him. Like it makes no sense for them to not just immediately kill him in that scene, but it's whatever. And I will say that the plot suffers from the frost giants being so one note. I hate that. I hate any time in a fantasy story where there's a race that's just like the generic evil guys. Like the fact that they all just look almost exactly the same and are just there to be evil. Like I really dislike that. And I dislike that, you know, it touches broadly on a lot of world building aspects, like the whole nine realms thing, but it never goes into enough detail on that. And I feel like it would have benefited from that considering how important the cosmic side of the MCU ended up being. I think the biggest issue that people had with, I think the biggest thing that kept this movie from being enjoyable and kept Thor from being as popular as he could have been is the dialogue is just so stilted and weird. Like they went from that weird faux Shakespearean shit that Asgardians do in the comics, but it doesn't really work when it's spoken out loud and the characterization suffers for it because they're not talking like real people. And I get that they were going for trying to make the Asgardians seem not human, but they leaned so far into it. They just feel like caricatures and it's hard to relate to any of them when they're talking like middle schoolers doing a project about Shakespeare. Yeah, and yeah, the only part, the only actor who's really able to really sell it is, of course, Sir Anthony Hopkins, because he's Anthony fucking Hopkins. Yeah, and speaking of actors who, like, actually thrive well in this movie, let's talk about Tom Hiddleston and as Loki stealing yes, the entire fucking Yes, let's please talk about Tom Hiddleston. I mean, we meme a lot on Loki's fan base nowadays, but look, looking back, it's no wonder he became such an overnight popular character from this movie. I mean, he, like, Loki is a tough character to make work, but Hiddleston nails it. Like, the scene in the treasure room where Loki and Odin confront each other about Loki's past is probably still one of the most well-acted scenes in the entire MCU. By far. By far. Yeah, and I mean, Loki's a great villain because he has that little bit of, like, is uh, like he's not necessarily a sympathetic villain, but he has understandable, like, reasons for moving towards villainy. Like, the whole insecurity being in Thor's shadow when he's clearly a piece of shit until this movie happens and then just finding out that you're adopted in basically the worst way possible oh my god and i i will say his his evil plan is literally a galaxy brain meme but the thing is like it's a crazily elaborate over the top comic book villain plan and in this context it's not a bad thing because he's literally a comic book villain and also just one small detail that i wanted to touch on um Giving Loki long hair was one of the best decisions that the MCU made because seeing him with short hair with the helmet in this movie was actually kind of strange. I, I don't know if that I don't know if you felt the same way. Oh no, it, it was definitely uncomfortable to watch. It's like when you've only ever known someone with a beard and then you see pictures of them from college when they were clean shaven. It's like a completely different person. Yep. Yeah, so I mean, we've got a significant part of this Thor review without actually talking about Thor. So Cause <sighs> He kind of just goes through a very basic character arc this time around. 
Yeah, here's the thing. His character development isn't bad. It's just rushed. Here's the thing. I'm a fan of Show Don't Tell, and we were just praising Iron Man for doing Show Don't Tell, but he actually could have benefited from a little bit of telling because it kind of feels like a flip is switched in the middle of the movie and he realizes that he's been a shitty person and becomes better. But like the dialogue issues make him feel kind of unrelatable and he never really introspects on his issues on a deep enough level to make the character arc feel fulfilling. That's 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 exactly it. Rather than this like being a huge come to Odin moment for him, it kind of just feels like he was grounded and then he just meekly walks down the stairs and apologizes to his parents and gets his hammer back. That is a perfect way of putting it. Yes, that's exactly what it feels like. That being said, I it's still enjoyable to watch like and talking about enjoyable characters, like, I completely forgot they did that weird voice modding thing with Heimdall, so that completely took me out of it at first. But I love his role as kind of, like, the cool uncle of Asgard. Like, he's supposed to be the most, like, upright, lawful good guardian of everything, but, like, he lets Thor and his friends just run around and do anything if he thinks it makes sense. Yes. Yeah, and, uh, we In this household, we stand Heimdall. Yeah. And I, talking about characters, you have to talk about Jane Foster, who I feel like this character had so much potential. It's a legitimately interesting character, but I feel like it's ruined. It's not even ruined by the fact that she's Thor's love interest. It's ruined by the fact that she just gets so, like, super giggly and fangirly every time Thor does a Hemsworth in this movie. Like, <laughs> this movie really wanted to hammer in the fact that Chris Hemsworth is a very good-looking and muscular. Like, if they did this much fan service in, like, anything else... Like, I don't think it would have been as accepted. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it just takes me out of it. Especially since we're not exactly the target audience for that. Oh yeah, no, I mean, if that's what you're into, then, I mean, we just talked about ScarJo's curly red hair, right? I mean, if that's what gets your attention, then Godspeed. Yeah. But honestly, I kind of feel like it was, it was a nice change of pace there. Except Darcy kind of ruined that one shortlist. He's like, hey, for a homeless guy, he's kind of cut. Which, did Darcy really need to exist in this movie? Let's be real. No, no. Yeah. yeah. No, I will say say what you will about the dialogue, but it gave us some of the most memeable lines in the MCU with the fucking the string. I like it. Another smash. And then he when he walks into the pet store and asks for something big enough to ride. Ride. <laughs> oh, we have cats, dogs, the birds. Well, give me one of those big enough, big enough to ride on. And among the other Phase 1 movies, aside from Iron Man, this is probably the one that works the best as a standalone film, because the only real connective tissue to the rest of the MCU at this point is Coulson and S.H.I.E.L.D., plus some Easter eggs mentioning Stark and Bruce Banner. Apparently this was also Hawkeye's first appearance. I think I saw Hawkeye. Oh yeah, I was getting to that. I completely fucking forgot that Jeremy Renner was in this. Yeah, right? See, me too! Although the funny thing is, I had actually, this is the second time I relearned that Jeremy Renner was in this, because when Endgame came out, I was watching all like the cast interviews, and like one of them, like some of the cast members were doing trivia, and Jeremy Renner was in this video with some other cast members. And one of the questions was, which movie did Hawkeye first appear in? Everybody said Avengers except for Renner, who said Thor. And everybody was like, wait, you were in Thor? And Renner got really defensive about it. It's like, yeah, they brought me in for like an early cameo, and I had the bow and arrow in that scene. You guys didn't see that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, but yeah, man. no, the thing is. This movie does a surprise, surprisingly does the majority of the heavy lifting to set up the Avengers. They introduce Loki, who's the main anta- main antagonist. They establish the existence of other worlds off of Earth, which obviously becomes important later on. You know, it shows a more civilian perspective on S.H.I.E.L.D. And it shows off the fucking Tesseract in the post-credits. I mean, that's 90% of the plot of the Avengers right there. Right there in one movie. So yeah, even 
as a as kind of as this movie is it uh it's not skippable at all no no and it's just here's the thing it's fun it's a really fun movie yeah and it's a superhero movie its main goal is to be fun and I mean, I will say the only gripe I, ha- I have with it that I haven't already discussed is the fact that it once again falls victim to the MCU's lack of musical continuity because the Thor theme is so fucking good. And the only comparison I will draw to Ragnarok in this episode is the fact that I'm so glad that they brought that motif back for the end of Ragnarok. Right. I will say this is the point where I can actually start talking about like my feelings upon seeing the movies in theaters for the first time. Because Iron Man and Iron Man 2 and Hulk, I saw them on, like, DVD or Redbox or whatever because I was a little too young for that. But, like, when this movie came out, I was around 10 years old, so I was actually able to start seeing them in theaters. I think my most... I remember I was a little underwhelmed, but, like, I enjoyed it because I think I'd, like, just seen Iron Man. But, like, I remember just 10-year-old me being really confused by Loki because I left the movie feeling bad for him, which confused me because he's the bad guy. Why do I feel bad for him? (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, and also, like, I get it now, but at the time, I did not get his plan. I was like, wait, he helped the bad guys so he could beat the bad guys because he wanted to look like the good guy, but he's a bad guy? What? (laughs) Three-dimensional chest. And of course, the beginnings of the fucking Avengers hype was just insane. Oh, yeah. So yeah, it was a tough call for me rating this one. I did give it a bronze rating because, like, it's not as bad as Iron Man 2 for sure, but I mean, it's just... It's several steps below Iron Man, and it's just, it's a fun movie, but it's very heavily flawed, and it's more like a flawed movie with parts of it that are enjoyable than an enjoyable movie with flaws. See, I put it in silver tier. I, I It was tough for me between silver and bronze. I think an argument could be made for silver. I think at the end of the day, it's just that my thing is, you know, they started off with Iron Man, and it took them a while to meet that standard again. It got close, though. Like, I, it was tough for me to go between silver and bronze. I'd accept silver as a ranking for this. Yeah, but so yeah. I think we're just... But I mean, yeah. At the end of the day, I liked it. Yeah, me too. I, I could, what I have in my notes here is I put it in silver tier and I just say, I consider that a compromise between, it's repetitive in the context of the full MCU because like, this is what, the third Lord to be a Hero story that we got in the span of however many years? Well, second, really. The thing is, because Incredible Hulk wasn't an origin story. This was really only the second origin story we got in the MCU, but yeah. Holy shit, you're right. But let's be let's be real. Iron Man 2's uh, uh, plot was just uh, to- Tony. Tony is slipping, and he has to get back to where he was. Yeah, yeah. He ends Iron Man 2 exactly the same spot he was at the end of Iron Man One. Yep. But yeah. So Thor for me is silver, and for you is bronze, huh? For me, it's a strong bronze. Like it could have been silver. It just doesn't quite hit the finish line in time for me. If that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, but hey, Captain America, the first Avenger! Captain America, first Avenger, yeah! I want Red Skull's car. Yeah, honestly, like, this is probably start to end the best pre-Avengers MCU film. Like, it's very hard for me to say whether it's better than Iron Man or not. Oh my, uh, uh, yeah. Like, (laughs) I will say, we were talking about origin stories. This is about as perfect of an origin story as you could hope for. Precisely, because the guy is already... He's already a hero, he just needs the superpower. Exactly, yes, he's already the hero. Because speaking of before, pre-superpowers Captain America, the the visual effects to make Steve Skitty are still impressive. Yeah, like, it's a little uncanny valley in some scenes, but it works so well. Like, it's still so impressive that they pull that off. Oh my god, yes. Oh, and... um. Where this is the movie that introduces the second most important plot device of the MCU, Bucky. 
Oh man. I don't know. Second yeah. most is a little bit of a stretch. Is he really less important than the Infinity Stones? Well, that those those were the first. I consider those the first. Here's the thing. I feel like the only thing the film really suffers from is that it's a two hour long origin story. Like, I love this movie, yeah. but at the end of the day, it only exists to get Cap in the ice and out of the ice in time for Avengers. But like the thing is, it knows its job is to be a two hour long characterization and tragic backstory for Steve Rogers, and it pulls it off better than you could ask. Precisely. Yeah. And yeah, honestly, I will say me talking about this movie is mostly going to be fan- me fanboying out over Chris Evans and Haley Atwell. So I'll just get to this criticism out of the way right now. My biggest criticism towards this movie is that there are two montages. You have the Star Spangled Man montage, and then you have the second one. That second, that latter montage, which is of Steve actually fighting in the wars, Captain America, should not have been a montage. Though I would have shaved a few minutes off near the end for like a couple actual action sequences, just to like you know have him actually be in the war. That's just me. Like it's still a perfectly good movie, but I think two montages just messes up the pacing in a really weird way. Yeah, I agree. Because I the way I put the way I noticed that popped out to me was like in this movie there isn't really that one action scene that really defined a lot of the early uh, Phase One yeah. MCU movies. Like Iron Man One had the cave fight scene. Incredible Hulk had its final boss battle. Thor had the final boss battle, and what 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 is that scene in this movie? That's the thing. This is a very character driven scene because it's about Steve Rogers. It's not really about Captain America. Like the climax of the the climax isn't a final battle. It's Red Skull getting beamed up, and then Steve having to put the plane underwater. Mm-hmm. And man. I just want to skip right to the characterization now because yeah, honestly, these, since like, you mentioned that this say, is a... All I really have to say about the action scenes, I have two points on that. Is that, well, three points. Is that the, the, the fight scenes are fun, but they needed to be. Like, they had to nail Cap's fighting style to make it look cool and believable because going into this, you know, most people thought Cap was that lame dude that only fights with the shield and how could that possibly be cool? And I'm glad that... And like I said with the Iron Man suit, I'm glad they just went for it with a shield and have it be something straight out of a comic book and not try to make it grounded or practical. It's like, yeah, no, we took the world's rarest metal and made it into a shield as a prototype. Why doesn't that be your weapon of choice, Steve? And I feel like the Hydra agents using the Tesseract technology as weapons is really underrated part of this movie because this is one of the few MCU movies where the henchmen are actually threatening. Oh my god, you're right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, like that. It's that's so subtle, but it pays off so well. But yeah, let's talk about the characters because this is probably one of the movies that introduces the most characters that are still so beloved to this day. So I mean, I will Peggy. also this probably, ha- this probably has the most memorable memorable lines and catchphrases in any Phase One movie aside from the Avengers. Like we could talk about Steve Rogers all day, but what is there to say about him that hasn't already been said? If we if we were just uh, to putting the casting in tiers, his uh, is one of the platinum tier yeah. casting decisions. I mean, we could do an hour and a half long episode just talking about him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, moving. So I mean, yeah. Is there anything else we would say about him? Mm, no. No. To cap. Yeah. To cap. And Peggy Carter is such an amazing character. Like watching this legitimately made me feel bad that I haven't watched the Agent Carter series yet. Exactly. I mean, it's on Disney Plus, so hey, cheers to Monopolies, right? Might as well get around to that eventually. (laughs) I mean, the thing thing that got me about this is, like, I've seen this movie maybe ten times. And I was surprised that after all those times, her and Steve, like, just as a tragic couple, still yanks at my heartstrings so much. Like, every time she looks at him, my fucking chest hurts. 
It's just, uh, yeah, they deserve better. Yeah. And like, yeah, they deserve I was so surprised. Much I was surprised at how sad the um end of the movie is, even like so many years later. Like even knowing like it's just it's so tough to watch. Yeah, especially the the when she's talking to him on the at the oh, very God, end. Yeah, you owe me that dance. But hey, on the bright side, we have Tommy Lee Jones at his Tommy Lee Jonesiest. <laughs> I swear to God, that is what He's I wrote down so in my notes. Tommy Lee Jones is at his Tommy Lee Jonesiest. Because he really is. I know. He's playing that grumpy drill, old school drill sergeant that he was born to play. And so, he's like, <laughs> look at him. He's making me cry. And then after there was a grenade. Still skinny. He plays his role to perfection. And then speaking of people who play their role to perfection in this movie, because it's basically everyone, Stanley Tucci playing Dr. Erskine is a fucking inspired casting choice. That's Stanley Tucci? Yes! Oh my god. Right? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. The, the under... That's... It's funny that you that because the underrated casting choice that I have written down in my notes is uh, the guy who played Dr. Zola. I don't even know his name. God damn it. Oh, I don't know his name either. I know who you're talking about, though. But yeah, no, he's great, too. He's yeah, he is. He, he looks like a comic book villain. Just like just walked right off the page. Poor guy. <laughs> oh, hey, he's rolling in that MCU dough now, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Or I at mean, least you should be. You brought him up earlier, but Bucky! Bucky! Yeah, he has a pretty impressive impact in this movie for as little screen time as he gets, I think. Him and Cap, they have the best friendship dynamic, I think, in the whole MCU, because the oh, way they sure. just constantly give each other shit in this movie. Yeah, no. Like, the, that whole that entire scene at the star, at the, oh, the, star the World's Fair, I think it was? Oh, God, yeah. It's like, don't, don't do anything stupid until I get back. And then Cap's response, how can I? You're taking all the stupid with you. Oh! And honestly, his death scene, air quotes, death scene is so hard to watch no matter how many times you get to it. Not just for knowing what happens to him afterwards, just because, like, it's just such a fucking brutal death scene. Like, I think the worst death scenes are always the ones where the character clearly doesn't want to die. Yeah. 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 And I think you mentioned um, knowing we know what happens later, but... um. Knowing what happens later makes it worse. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no. And of course, if we're talking about villains, Hugo Weaving is a joy as Red Skull. Like, he strikes the perfect balance between campy and legitimately chilling and evil. That scene where he straight up murders all the superior officers in his lab. This is the villain who literally, who is just as evil after he abandons the Nazis as he was when he was with the Nazis. This is probably the only movie where I've ever felt uncomfortable watching a Nazi get killed. Should I have said that? <laughs> should I have said that? <laughs> I feel like I shouldn't have said that. Uh, it's fine. Yeah. But, uh, and, but I think the only downside with the characterization here is that the Howling Commandos are barely characters. The Wait, wait, the what? Cap soldiers that like he recruits. To Cap soldiers. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, no, the Howling Yeah. That's part of why I want to watch Agent Carter, because they're actually in that in a few episodes. Oh, nice. Yeah. Also, shout out to this movie for, even if it's only one sentence, kind of acknowledging, like, the racism towards Japanese people, like, during World War II. Like, with the one Japanese soldier when he was releasing, and the one guy's like, oh, we're taking everybody with us, and he holds up his dog tag. He's like, I'm from Fresno, genius. Genius. (laughs) Yeah. How many times have we had to say, I'm from Atlanta, smartass? Too many times to count. Yeah. 
But yeah, no, I mean, this is just an amazingly well done movie. I, I mean, I love it. Like, and I will say, if you want to talk about whether it's a standalone movie or not, like, I feel like that's kind of where you have to talk about, like, downsides with it. Like, it mostly works as a standalone film up until literally the last scene. Like, if it, because it ends with t Steve waking up in the present day is basically a cliffhanger, that kind of prevents him from working as a standalone. But also, like, let's be real. Most people consider the post credit scenes as the real final scenes of these movies, right? Yeah, correct. I feel like the fact that the post credit scene for this movie, the final scene of this movie, is literally a trailer for the Avengers is kind of a strike against it being a standalone movie. Very much so. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but I mean, and like I said, overall impact, this movie exists solely to get Cap in and out of the ice in time for Avengers, but it introduces the Tesseract pretty fully, which is pretty important. And one thing that I kind of noticed uh, about the Tesseract and uh, how... Uh, Red Skull is so obsessed with it. It's like I kind of got the vibe that he was basically a, a he's a better dark foil to Tony Stark than Whiplash was. That's kind of a good point. Yeah. Except I mean, I guess the main difference between them is he's searching for powers beyond his understanding that he can harness. Tony's all about whatever he can make himself. Nice. Like if you told Tony that the secret element he needed to save himself was like buried in some Norse temple somewhere, I doubt he would go for that. And, and also, just one, two more things that I want to. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. You no, know, you say your two things. I'll say my one thing, and then we'll do the rating. Okay, yeah. So two things. Well, one I'll get out of the way really quickly is I almost put this in platinum tier because of the I can swim scene. That's fair. You know the scene where yes, you know, where he's chasing the Hydra yeah. agent and, and the kid gets thrown in the water. But my my uh, philosophy going for going into this rewatch was I don't want one scene to be the deciding factor in what tier I put these movies in. But yeah, the second one was uh, I love that this movie doesn't shy away from critiquing Cap's status as a propaganda symbol. Oh, yeah, no, they're very upfront about, like, yeah, you're wasting your fucking time, and, you know, this isn't... And even he's like, this isn't what I want. And it takes a pep talk from Peggy to convince him that he doesn't have to settle for that. Uh-huh. Best girl, Peggy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so my only two things I wanted to add is people meme on the plane crash scene all the fucking time for Steve being overly dramatic. But I didn't, I forgot this because it's been a while. What? But the flight? No. Well, here's the thing. People joke like there was a better way from land the plane or whatever. But like the flight controls literally get damaged during the final fight. So yeah, he literally can only crash the plane at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then also like. I'm pretty sure seeing this movie in theaters was a birthday present, but, like, I was, like, 11 years old. This is the first time my family had ever gone to, like, one of those studio movie girl type places. And so, for me, that was insane. But, like, 11-year-old me for, like, an, an entire year after that would always joke that eating a hamburger and drinking a Coke while watching Captain America is the most patriotic thing I've ever done. Fuck yeah. Yeah, I told that joke <laughs> for a while. Now the most patriotic thing I've ever done is voting. Winks directly in the camera. <laughs> Oh yeah, but God, no, the the hype levels of seeing that Avengers trailer at the end was like through the fucking roof, though. Unprecedented. Uh, I, okay, what I literally have written down here is the levels of hype from seeing that Avengers trailer in the post credits were beyond words. Hopefully I'll have some when we record. And I don't, so moving on. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so final verdict, huh? Yeah, so I, I'm... I have some other like like gripes and criticisms i have here but i feel like we don't really need to waste much time on those because we like the movie love it yeah just the captain america theme is good and marvel needed to get its shit together with its scores sooner i kind of spoiled my uh ranking with the i can swim seeds as i said i almost put it a platinum but it's gold gold yeah, yeah. I mean, 
the it's a basically a two hour long Avengers trailer, but this is the best trailer you could ask for. It sets up everything you need to know about perfectly. And like everything in this movie is necessary to understand the kind of emotional pain Cap has to deal with for the next 10 years. Technically the next 15 years because of that time skip, but who's counting? No one. Yeah. So time to talk about the Avengers. Time to talk about the Avengers. Literally my first note is all caps, the motherfucking Avengers. Like this movie, it's not perfect, but it's as close as the MCU got to making a perfect superhero movie for a while. Like, it's not the first time that a crossover movie has ever happened, but I mean, it tied all of those plot threads together seamlessly, and I think that the best way to describe it is just, it creates something greater than the sum of its parts, both in-universe and out. Yeah, this is the Phase 1 movie I've rewatched the most times, aside from Captain America. Like, it's just as much fun to watch now as it was 10 years ago. It really is. All you really have to say about the action scenes is that it's pure fan service from start to end. Like, every team-up move feels like it was straight off of a comic book page. And, like, the hero versus hero fights that we do get are basically what anybody who's mashed their action figures together as a kid was imagining. Funny that you mentioned fan service because some of the questions that get get answered in these movies are who would win between Cap Shield and Thor's hammer? Yeah. And uh, can Hulk lift Mjolnir? Just from pure strength, and he cannot, yeah. And uh, I had had some other third thing. I don't know what. (laughs) I was trying to go for a rule of three thing here. Yeah, talking about the characters, because you can't talk about a team-up movie without talking about the characters. I think the opening of this movie is just a masterclass in exposition, because the opening segments do a great job of establishing who each Avenger is, but then they, like, seamlessly go from one to the other. Like, did you catch that, like, each one ends with them saying something that directly shifts into the transitions to the next one? Like, not at first, but I kind of noticed it uh, yeah, once so like, when they transitioned from Tony to, I think it was, it went from Tony to Hulk, right? Or Tony to yeah, Cap. Well, so here's what happens. So it starts with Coulson calling Black Widow and it ends with him telling her, you've got the big guy. And then it goes to her recruiting Hulk. Then it starts talking about uh, um Hulk and he says something about um soldiers, about them needing a soul, getting soldiers and then it goes to cap and then goes to cap and at the end of cap he says you should have left the tesseract at the bottom of the ocean and then it cuts to iron man at the bottom of the ocean yeah that's economic storytelling at its finest folks yep i will say that um Mm -hmm. it's worth just pointing out that joss whedon directs this movie and this is the movie where joss whedon's brand of everybody has a quip humor makes its way into mcu for better or for worse uh huh. Which I think it uh, works for better in this case. In this case, there's rarely a dull, dull moment. And not to mention, the whole point of the movie this time around was just to show friction between the. Yeah, exactly. The fact that everybody's a sarcastic asshole to each other just adds to the discord that has to get resolved in a good way. Mm hmm. Yeah. And of course, Black Widow finally gets some good actual characterization as opposed to Iron Man 2. This is a better intro for her than Iron Man 2 was. Oh, absolutely. Like, that opening segment does more for her character than her entire screen time in Iron Man 2 did. Uh-huh. Yeah. I will say, if we're going to talk about characterization, we have to talk about the fact that Hawkeye's characterization suffers greatly because he's mind-controlled for nearly two-thirds of the film. It does. It does. I will go on record saying probably the biggest mistake they made with this movie is having him be mind-controlled for so long. He loses out on so much of the characterization and, like, character interaction that the other characters are getting. And it's no surprise that he's probably the least popular original Avenger, considering he spends most of this movie as a mind-controlled muck. Yeah. But, uh, 
Let's talk about uh, the recasting of Hulk. This is the movie where the Dis- after Disney had their falling out with Edward Norton that we get we first time seeing Mark Ruffalo as Banner. I mean, I think he's a fantastic Bruce Banner because I think he does a great job of like capturing that like always kind of on the edge of his next breakdown while also like still having that illusion of being in control. And like, I just love his chemistry with Robert Downey Jr. Like that for me is what makes the character. Yeah, and that's actually something that surprised me the first time I saw this movie is that it really does make sense that Tony and the two scientists, basically, Tony and Bruce would get along so well. Yeah, when they start talking to each other about thermonuclear physics in the Hell Carrier and they basically just fall in love from across the room. <laughs> like the fucking song from Dirty Dancing was playing in the background when they were like making eye contact because they realized they had both figured the same thing out. <laughs> oh man, so hilarious. And um, let's talk about our... V- and Loki's back this time around. And can we we just talk about how threatening he is he feels in this movie like even though he's he's basically an underling i mean i think the thing that makes him so threatening in this movie is he plays everybody perfectly but also he has nothing to lose he's on the fucking edge this is all or nothing for loki in this movie like the way he's just so desperate like i think that's the important thing is like all of his like you know you know his you know superiority complex is there's so much underlying desperation and insecurity beneath it and that's really the crux of loki's character right which even on a even in that opening scene that uh devilish stare that he that he oh, yeah does when he first appears it's like oh my god it's weird the first time i saw this movie in theaters like i actually i thought the first act was kind of rough but re-watching it it's it's great i know it's it's a master class and just like weaving exposition in with just like actually getting shit done mm-hmm. yeah for sure yeah and I will say, for a huge crossover film, it works surprisingly well as a standalone. And I think it's that's part of why it does, is because the opening scenes bring anybody, any newcomers up to speed because they're introducing all these characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and there's really not anything in this film that I think would feel completely out of place or come out of nowhere to someone who hadn't seen another phase one film. Precisely. Yeah. And um, it, we each character still gets an establishing character moment in each uh in their intros which who, who do you think had the best like reintroduction i mean i think it has to be black widow considering her introduction in this movie is better than the one in the movie she was actually introduced in <laughs> right right yeah and uh, i think uh, i honestly think hulk had the second best one oh yeah but i mean he needed to in order to like get people on board with ruffalo as banner which and i mean it did honestly yep. i feel like banner's introduction is almost an extension of widow's introduction First of all, it immediately follows up Widow's um, character scene, but also you still learn so much about her through that scene. You learn so much more about like how she works in a situation to get what she wants. And you see, like, she's not a super cold-blooded spy. Like, she's not lying when she's, like, trying to be nice to Banner. And, like, all of that is just kind of slowly setting up how she completely plays Loki in that interrogation scene. Very underrated scene, by the way. That Yeah, the whole thing where she interrogates the villain by making them think they're the one doing the interrogation is still so brilliant. Wait, which is, which is exactly what she was doing in her intro. Exactly, yeah. Payoff! The actual events of this movie are pretty um self-contained. And even the after credit scene, the only thing it really does is it teases Thanos, but that's such a slow burn, you can't really call that as a direct sequel hook. Imagine going back to the day this movie came out and being like, yeah, that guy in the after credit scene, yeah, he's not actually going to do anything for another 10 years. Uh, oh, man. When you put it like that. Yeah. Also, um, just but because yeah, uh, I mean, we're actually... We need to talk about whether this movie... 
No, sorry, you go ahead. Uh, I was just saying, it's like, we're actually uh, running, like, uh, ahead of schedule, like, the, where we haven't been talking for as long as I thought we could have been. So I just want to just rattle off some of our favorite individual scenes from this movie. Okay, I literally have it written down here. Trying to list every moment or quote in this that isn't iconic or memorable would be a shorter list. <laughs> so, like, let's just rattle them off. That man is playing Galaga. There are always men like you. That was the one I was going to say next. Stop being a clone of me. This isn't fair. <laughs> I am Loki of Asgard, and I come burdened with great purpose. <laughs> that little moment in uh, Bruce Banner's introduction where he rocks a cradle while saying he doesn't always get what he wants. And the cradle has green paint on it. And there's green paint on the wall behind him. Oh, man. That I didn't notice. Oh, and that same scene you mentioned where, where he's talking to Widow and he's like, your little actress friend, is she a spy too? Do they start that young? And Widow just completely sincerely is just like, I did. <laughs> yeah. Got the whole like scene in the um laboratory where they're all like arguing with each other and Cap and Tony keep ar start arguing. And Tony, he's like, take off the suit. What are you? A billionaire genius playboy philanthropist. Tony Stark de-armoring when he lands at Stark Tower for the first time. Oh, yeah. Talk about great suit-up moments. This has the best, like, unsuiting up moment where he, like, can take the suit off so quickly. But yeah, no, him suiting up in the Mark Seven as he's falling off of Stark Tower is still top ten moments in the MCU, I think. And then when he flies back up, he's like, and there's one more guy you pissed off. His name was Phil. Ant. Boot. <laughs> Got it. Samuel L. Jackson is just a fucking treasure in the MCU. I'm so glad they went with him for Nick Fury. Why have we not talked about Nick Fury yet? Oh my god. Because <laughs> there's so much other stuff to talk about. Yeah, no, he's like, this movie elevates Nick Fury and Coulson from like their bit parts in the previous movies to just being full-on enjoyable characters in their own right. Mm -hmm. I love that Nick Fury, like he so like clearly doesn't trust anyone, but like he still puts faith in people. Like that just says so much about his character. Yeah, that's basically his character in a nutshell. Yeah. I guess it's an old-fashioned notion. Mm -hmm. Which that scene in hindsight is so fucking manipulative. It really is. Which even yeah. the, mo the movie itself even calls it out. Oh yeah, no, it does, which I appreciate. Yeah, because damn. Also, one minor to pick a... I think they could have explained the I'm always angry thing a little better. Because I actually had to think about it for like a half a day when I first saw it to figure out what he meant. I don't know. That worked for me pretty well. That's still like top five MCU moments for me. Where it's like... They keep saying it's anger management issues. Turns out he's just better at managing his anger than everybody thought. Right. That's one of the things I think would benefit more from the Incredible Hulk having been more popular because like part of his character arc in that movie is actually learning to be angry all the time and have the Hulk like at a moment's notice. Like the movie ends with him being able to Hulk out intentionally. So how much did shawarma sales increase after this movie came out again? I haven't looked it up, but it's probably a lot. Yeah, I think it was some, it's some ridiculous number, but uh... yeah. Oh, speaking of like how I said before in Iron Man with uh, how the trailer shots all work in context to, uh, with the with the movie, that extended shot uh, of the of the first crew that just follows them in a circle. Oh yeah, the circle team up shot. Yes, and the extended shot of Iron Man flying through the city. Oh yeah, I think that circle shot still is the most iconic Marvel scene ever. I don't think anything else can top that. Agreed. One small thing that kind of made me chuckle was a. Uh, when when you pull up of when you start a video on Disney Plus, it shows you what the what the movie's rated and the rating reasons. Yeah, uh, this is this is rated PG thirteen, and one of the reasons is a mild drug reference. I I think we both know what that what that reference. Yeah, it's Tony Stark's bag of weed joke when he's talking to Bruce Banner. I'm just like, yeah. did that really need its own rating reason? I guess it yeah. did. 
I mean, obviously that's way worse than the scene where Loki basically rips the dude's eyeball out. Oh yeah, that, uh, which I did not remember happening when, uh, until I rewatched it. Oh. I was just like, that's kind of, hmm. Oh, it's so, so when Hawkeye said, I just need a distraction and an eyeball, I thought he was referring to, like, his own eyeball. So, it's like, I just need to be able to see. Not, yeah. oh, a, a literal eyeball. Okay. And also the credits, the ending credits song, Live to Rise by oh, yeah. uh, Audio Slave. I think it's Audio Slave. Yeah, I think so. Still a banger to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> Rest in peace, Chris Cornell. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, and again, like, these are movies that I grew up with. So when I went to see this in theaters as 12 years old, that was like a fucking religious experience. Oh, yeah, this definitely ranks up with one of my best theater experiences right up there with Pacific Rim, Alita Battle Angel and John Wick Chapter 3. Oh, yeah, the, this is up. This is still up there, even eight years later. I mean, do you want, is there anything else we can say about this movie? The only like other flaw I had written down for it is that while it's not super prevalent in this one, I feel like a little bit of Joss Whedon's not great way of writing women came through in a couple scenes. Uh, like which ones? I don't know. Like the some of the Black Widow um fan service just felt like that to me. I guess I don't know. I think it's like. I think we had talked about this with some of our other friends before, but like the whole idea, like with Black Widow being the only woman on the team, she's forced to fill like every single like kind of character role that is traditionally filled by female characters. So like she's doing her Black Widow stuff, but then she has to turn around and be emotional support for Bruce Banner and Hawkeye as well, and it just kind of like ah uh, right yeah. right yeah yeah yeah, and of oh, course well, Maria is like barely there. Like she's mostly just there for Fury to have someone to talk to. Yeah, she's really she's barely she's barely a presence. She's literally only there to give Fury a reason to talk without monologuing. Yeah, true. But hey, that's just that's just two things out of this whole two and a half hour movie. So I mean, yeah, if, is it going to be any surprise what we rank this? Uh, that remains to be seen. Like, you you want to just count it off and just say it at the same time? All right, one, two, three, platinum. Platinum. There was a delay, yep. but we said the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we did. We did. Yeah, I mean, it's still one of the best superhero movies ever beginning to end, and it's hard to not put it in the top tier. And I honestly still say it's... I would go so far as to say... Well, this is subject to change because we haven't seen all of them yet, rewatched all of them yet, but I still... I, right, as of right now, I'm thinking this, is, this might be the best team-up movie among them all. Maybe. I mean, as far as as far as rewatchability and stuff like that. Yeah. No. So, mm-hmm. any closing comments that we want to go over for this one? Um. No. No. I, can't, I really can't think of anything else. Yeah. Well, thanks for tuning in and indulging our Marvel fanboyisms. Um. Yep. Catch us in the next episode where we will be taking we'll be taking a look at Phase Two, starting with Iron Man Three, right? Oh God, we have to watch Thor: The Dark World. Oh shit.